inviting Brother Justin Jones to come help me. I am a church member. I am part of the body of Christ in the earth, and I am a part of Atlanta West Pentecostal Church. And I am thankful that I am not alone. Would you welcome Brother Justin Jones right now? Praise the Lord, church. My name is Justin Jones, and I am a functioning church member. Our first winter at this church, my wife started in the homeless ministry and suggested that I join her in the freezing cold serving sandwiches. I was not a soul winner or a preacher, but I decided to draw a line in the sand so once a week, even if it was just for an hour or two, even if it was just passing out a sandwich, I would get out of the bleachers and do something for God in the church that God called me to attend. And here's the reason why. The disciple Peter said he was ready to go to prison and even die for Jesus Christ. But we all know Peter denied Jesus three times. I believe if Peter would have taken a lie detector test, he would have passed that test because Peter truly believed that's the type of man that he was. But I have learned, and Peter proves this, that the difference between who we think we are and who we really are is revealed in the field. So I drew a line to see who I really was, and um, I've been asked to tell you what drawing that line did in my life. I handed out sandwiches. Um, one day, leader Mike Brock asked me to bring food to a guy sitting far away, and I did it because I knew Mike wanted to do it, but he couldn't do it without leaving his position of leadership, so I became an extra arm for him, leaving the serving line and becoming the delivery boy. On Wednesdays, leaders Mike Brock and Greg Boyd would leave their job to pick up food for Saturday. When I got a truck, since I was self-employed, I offered to pick it up because I could, and it would lighten the burden that they had as leaders. Imagine my shock when one day Mike Brock asked if I would preach. My first message was a hot, junky mess. Everyone looked at me like I was crazy, but Mike would keep asking me, and I began to get a little better. We brought our kids with us, and they started serving sandwiches. It's easier to get kids in ministry when parents are in ministry. When we were invited into Liberty Baptist Church, I noticed that there was a piano. Now, my last piano lesson was in the fifth grade, but I could read music, and I figured if I learned a song a week, I wouldn't be Brandon Frazier, but with my wife and Sister Desiree singing, we had some worship because we could. I was freed from the piano when we started using an MP3 player for worship, and I noticed that even though people were beginning to get the Holy Ghost, we needed Bible study to ground them. So I offered to do one after service because I could. Meanwhile, at home, my four children were taking music lessons on different instruments from Brother Ben Phillips, who uses Christian music to teach. One day, we absentmindedly asked a historic question, Brother Ben, are the kids good enough to all learn the same song? He taught them the song, Our God, which has become the theme song of Hope Ministry. And for the first time ever, my entire family led worship. Every week we had to bring our own instruments, even the drums, but we did because we could. 
Brother Brock moved to another state, suddenly making me the new preacher at Hope Ministry. And we've seen miracle after miracle and dozens upon dozens receiving the Holy Ghost. I'm serving a different kind of service, a different kind of sandwich these days, because when you draw a line and decide to become a functioning church member, you plug into a dimension of the grace of God that only moves through his body when we step up and do what we can do. Who knew that serving a sandwich would lead to my children ushering in the presence of the Lord? Even my oldest son, who just started attending college, a place that's known to suck young men away with sex, drugs, and immorality. We released him from playing in the ministry to choose to be his own man. But he chose to keep showing up every Saturday to serve, even to start leading and managing it. It all started with serving a sandwich. Can I tell you, I didn't come to church for friends. I'll be honest. I didn't come here to make friends. But I see my friends in this building, precious people that show up earlier than me every Saturday. If you want to connect with people, connect with ministry. There used to be just a handful of us preparing food, but now when I write messages late Friday night, I know that there are people who drew their own lines and they have everything handled. I no longer have to pick up the food because Sister Crystal and others before her took that weight off of me. I can never thank them enough for that. And you might not be a preacher or a missionary, but you might make things possible for the person who is. And who knows what God will do with you when you draw a line and serve a sandwich or assist a Sunday school teacher or watch the nursery. And besides all that, we cheat ourselves out of blessings, out of transformation, indeed out of the very will of God for our lives that only happens when we become functioning church members. And please don't tell me you're too young to be used. Because I didn't come to this church because of the choir or a friend's invitation. I am in this church because one Thursday night when I was working on my laptop at Wendy's on Thornton Road, a nervous 16-year-old kid got up from his seat, walked over to a grown man that he didn't know, and invited me to this church. He was a member of the crowd, our teenage ministry. He looked nervous, he stuttered, but he was connected to the body, and he came in the name of the Lord. And if it was not for him, my family wouldn't have this story to tell. And that kid didn't do it alone. He was backed up by all the other members of the crowd sitting at that table. What am I saying? I'm trying to tell you there's no such thing as a useless saint. And we cut ourselves off from our own destiny when we don't draw that line. I'm far from perfect. I have a laundry list of what's wrong with me. I'm not the man I should be. But thank God I'm not the man I used to be because I'm connected and my family is connected to the body of Christ. I'm a functioning church member, and by the grace of God, I'll die that way. Praise the Lord. Well, why don't we stand and thank the Lord? Wow. Please remain standing. Wouldn't you like to be able to speak like that? Serve a sandwich. You never know. If we would exercise the gifts we have, instead of wishing for gifts we didn't have, 
we might be surprised what God would do in our lives. Amen. Thank you, Brother Justin Jones, Sister Nicole, and your amazing family, and Greg Boyd, everybody who serves in our homeless ministry, Hope. Thank you so very, very much. I'm looking forward to hearing from other church members in the weeks to come. But now, I'd like for you to please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. If you came in a little bit late, you may have missed that we had a baby dedication today. And we dedicated five babies to the Lord. And it was a very precious time showing the value that Jesus has for our children. So it's a little later than normal when I start preaching, but the restaurants usually don't get opened up till about 1.30 or so. You know, cleared out from all of the early parishioners that go. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a good sermon, just like that, right? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. From verse 27, I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, a glorious church. A glorious church. And you may be seated. What would you say is the most important part of your life? What is the most valuable thing, the most Important thing to you, your highest priority as a person. Is it your marriage or your children? Is it making enough money to make ends meet? Is it happiness, the pursuit of happiness? Or is it your desire for success, maybe for fame? What is the most important thing in your life? Now, I know that I'm in church and you know where I'm going with this statement or these questions. But if all of us were honest, everyone in this room that really believes that there is a heaven and there is a hell and that heaven and hell are forever and that time is only for a while, everyone who believes that would say, the most important thing in my life is making sure that I am in a right relationship with God when I breathe my last breath, Jesus asked the question, What shall it, for what is a man profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If you were to die before the catching away of the church in the rapture, the most important thing in your life is that you would meet God in peace. The writer of Hebrews told us that it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. All of us have an appointment with death and the judgment that follows. So it stands to reason that if I have those two appointments in my future, 
that the most important thing in my life now is to be ready to die and to be ready for the judgment. If you live till the Lord comes back, the most important thing in your life is in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, that you would be quickened in your spirit and you would rise to the rest of the church that is alive in the earth to meet the Lord in the air to ever be with the Lord. The Lord is coming back for people who have made themselves ready. The Bible said to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. When I say in these Sundays that I am a church member, I say that because I understand that being a member of this local body connects me to the universal body, to God's church in the earth. And I established that last week in my message, that it is not just attending church, not just having your name in Fellowship One where we take role, not just being a voting member and affirming the doctrines of this church. It's not even being involved in official ministries or, you know, it's something deeper and more sacred and spiritual to be connected to Christ in His church in the earth. Because being in the church connected to Jesus Christ is the single most important facet of your life and nothing else even comes close. Amen? When I say church, I'm not talking about pick a church, any church, any brand of church. I'm talking about the body of Christ in the earth that has obeyed the new birth plan of salvation to be born of water and spirit so you can enter the kingdom of God. I'm talking about those people who have been born of water by being baptized. And I'm pointing back here to our warm baptistry that's ready for you right now. To be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. When I say to be born of spirit, I'm speaking of being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues a language that you never learned. That is how the early church was born again. That was the first sermon of the early church. And it doesn't matter how far away churches stray from that original message. It doesn't change the truth of the original scripture preached on the birthday of the church by the apostle Peter with all the other apostles amening him and backing him up. That is God's plan of salvation all the way to 2015. Until Jesus comes back or you breathe your last breath, that is God's plan of salvation. And unless you're part of that body of Christ locally and globally, you're not ready for those two appointments. You're not born of water and of spirit. Now, there are people who have been in churches and even apostolic churches, Pentecostal churches, who have been burned by churches. And I want to say a few things because I feel like it's honest and fair and right. Because God does not hate anything any more than He hates religious pretenders. He hates hypocrisy. He hates duplicity. People that say one thing and live another. God despises unjust balances. He hates those things that are pretending to be right and really are not. But let's just be honest. We read enough. Some of us are old enough. Some of us have had personal experiences 
of people who have been burned in churches that they trusted. Because the church is so important to salvation, it is always under attack by Satan. And Satan worms his way in and finds false teachers and false brothers and sisters. And there are people who trusted God in a church and they were burned by a false teacher or a charlatan, a fake. When I hear stories of people who uh, gave their money to churches only to have that money spent in a way that was not intended to see that money misspent, misappropriated, that bothers me and recoil by that. When I see churches that are sloppy, that don't put God first, that it doesn't matter to them, that church is the best thing in the lives of people, that upsets me. I get upset when I hear hastily thrown together sermons and preachers that do not study the Bible, who do not rightly divide the word of truth. And I loathe the lack of integrity of people who say one thing and live another that have disillusioned millions of people in our culture in the United States of America and around the world. It's not right. It turns and grieves the heart of God. And I apologize on behalf of God and His church in the earth for people who have trusted churches only to be burned by them. There are people who have been disappointed in preachers, in the clergy, in the news this week. A high-ranking, most right reverend clergy person in a traditional church is facing charges for leaving the scene of an accident, vehicular homicide, vehicular manslaughter, failure to remain at the scene of an accident that results in serious injury and death of a bicycler. Her blood alcohol was 0.22. She was drunk and drove away, and she's a preacher, and I'm sorry to say that that's in your news, and you read it and see it and hear it, and it's wrong. Because families come to church. Sometimes pedophiles come to church. We have a two-adult rule. We have a check-in system. We call our people into account. But you know because you read it and see it that there's a major church in the world that has paid out over $2.5 billion in claims that were settled for over 16,000 victims of 6,900 clergymen who physically and sexually abused them. That happened in somebody's church. Not the United Pentecostal Church. Not an apostolic church. But where there are churches, there are people. I'm not a preacher's kid. I'm a saint's kid. I was raised by a carpenter and a homemaker in a very modest home, four kids. Our family went through a very painful hurt in a church. My mom and dad, my grandparents, their sis, my mom's sisters and their families, they poured their tithing money. They were involved in ministries. They physically built the church. I was there with my dad, the carpenter, and many others and saw the church that they built go up. But then that person that we trusted burned us and, and, and walked away in an immoral lifestyle. I actually didn't walk away. Finally, years later, was forced. My parents were wise enough to leave that church 
when it was true and found another church that preached the truth that had integrity. But I want to just say for the record, this is my family's story, that we didn't leave the church because the sanctuary was too cold or too hot. We didn't leave because the sound was too loud or too soft. We didn't leave because there were seats instead of pews or the other way around. We didn't leave because your feet didn't touch the floor if you're short because the chairs were too tall. We didn't leave because you had to walk a long way or ride a golf cart because so many other people wanted to come to church or park in the grass. We didn't leave because the services or sermons were too long or too short. We didn't leave because the music was not our style or because the church was too culturally diverse and that wasn't how we wanted to be. That's not why we left, because the holiness standards were too conservative or the Sunday school curriculum wasn't to our liking. We left because of a serious moral flaw that was conspicuous and nobody would repent and do that. But when my parents decided to leave, I still remember my dad and mom coming down the aisle getting me and saying we're leaving. We found another church where truth was still preached, where there was integrity. But my parents were wise enough to not fill the ears of a seven or eight-year-old boy with stuff that we had no ability to understand as children and my sister and two younger brothers. My parents protected us from the hurts of that church. And to this day, there are hundreds of backsliders, people who walked away because of that catastrophic, catastrophic failure of leadership. But when we walked out, we didn't walk back into the world. My parents said the church is still God's plan in the earth. And Acts 2.38 is still true. And my ties still belong to God. My parents did not plant distrust and bitterness in my heart and my heart and the heart of my siblings. They didn't quit paying tithes, even when things were going down at the other church. My parents, through that traumatic experience, did not quit working in the church. When we went to our new church, it took a while to adjust, but my family was back involved. Mom cooking, working, ladies auxiliary, dad leading worship, leading choir, teaching Sunday school, me being part of choir, youth group, whatever we could, because we understood that the church is the center of our life. It is God's best hope for the world. Amen. And my parents, without reservation, will tell you it is not because they believe that that man was infallible, but they believe the Word of God was infallible. It was not because they believe the new church was perfect. It was because if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to be a church member. You've got to be a, get connected to God's local body of the global church. So I stand here today, not as a pastor, but as a Christian to say, I am a church member and I am connected to this body because I want to be connected to that body. I'm connected to Jesus here, so I will be eternally connected to him there. I am a church member. That's what I am. I was born on a Monday, went to church on the next Sunday, and never missed a Sunday for several years, seven or eight years. One weekend, my dad, uncles, and some friends were taking a very rare hunting trip where we missed a Sunday. 
And my dad let me go with him. That's why he never harvested a deer because he had a little boy making noise around him. Bow hunting on citrus game preserve in Inverness, Florida. And my mom had her sister, my Aunt Phyllis, and said, Phyllis, Daryl cannot go unless you make sure he goes to church on Sunday morning. He's never missed a Sunday service. Back then, they gave you these little round pins and then these little bars. Can I get a witness, anybody that remembers them? Raise your hand real high. And, you know, like if you had perfect attendance, you got this little teeny bar, and, and people actually did that back then. They went to church every week. And I never missed seven. I can't remember exactly. I should have called mom. She could tell me. And I have a feeling in my baby book, which is still at her house, all those little pin and all those little bars are there. So on Sunday morning, Aunt Phyllis got me up on a sandy, you know, central Florida tent floor. She put on her stockings, got this little boy dressed, and took me to Sunday school. That's how I was raised, that church is the center of your life. And you can take a vacation and all of those kind of things are good, but you just don't lay out if you're in the middle of the woods and you can get to a church, you get to church. That's well, that's how I was raised. So when I stand here and say that I am a church member, I don't have any hesitation in saying that this is the way I was raised. This is the way I was as a teenager. This is what I was as a young adult. This is how we raised our boys when we lived in St. Louis. Eight years, I had to travel a lot of weekends. My wife went to church, took our three boys to church, would unload them whether it was snowing or not, put little Justin in the carrier inside. Ryan and Joel would stand guard on Wednesday night, even though I might be leaving. We did not miss Wednesday night church because I wanted our boys to be connected to a local church. So I don't have any apprehension of saying to you that what I'm preaching is the truth, that if you want to go to heaven and you want your family to go to heaven, if it is the most important thing in your life, if it is at all possible, then make church, uh, no, church is the center of your life, but if at all possible, be in church. I am a church member. I am a church member. We live in an age of such cynicism and skepticism toward every institution. And I read in the news this week, and I read my news on my phone, and here's a school teacher who's done something immoral and wrong. And, and then you read about a politician who's taken money and bribes, and this politician is immoral. Every institution is under attack. Mothers that kill their babies and fathers that abuse them. And I heard a story this week of a father who punched his, his uh, retarded child, you know, his afflicted child, and then the child died later in a horrible funeral here in the city of Atlanta in an apostolic church. What a terrible world we live in. But in the middle of that, can we make this church, can we make our homes, can we make our lives a sanctuary where there is integrity and holiness and godliness? Can we build a church that has a commitment to integrity? Can we be a church that is sound in doctrine? Can we be a church that has accountability and integrity with the way we handle the precious money of our people? I can tell you that I am passionate, not just about doctrine. I am passionate about integrity. I am passionate about operations. I'm passionate about accountability. It is my passion to have a church that people can trust with their souls and their money and their kids, that they can come here and say, here is a sanctuary. Here is a place we can take our family to heaven from. 
We'll never be perfect. We'll never have it all figured out. But I can tell you, if you're going to go to church, you've got to get connected to the body of Christ. You can remain on the fringes, withhold your commitment. You can endlessly evaluate the church and find enough perfections to never commit yourself. But I will promise you, if you look in the mirror, the, pro- the person that probably needs the most criticism is the critic. There's a little saying that the problem I'm having with you is the problem I'm having with me. And Jesus said, you see that speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you don't see that moat in your own eye. And the most critical people usually have the greatest flaws in their life, and they deflect the criticism toward themselves by finding it in other people. It's time that we humble ourselves and admit that we all need the grace of God, that we are sinners without the grace of God in our life, that we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we all need mercy every day. And we need to build a church. We need to build a church. Amen. That is the hope of the world. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is writing about relationships. And he speaks of the relationships we have to one another, submitting ourselves one to another. He speaks in verse 22 of wives submitting to their husbands. He explains why in verses 23 and 24 that Christ is the head of the church and the husband is the head of the wife. And in the same way that the church should be subject to Christ, that wives should be subject to their husbands in everything. Isn't that a great sermon? Every man should be screaming and saying amen right now. Guys are afraid to, that's why. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. Don't lie in church. And then in verse 25, he gives balancing principles. We're going to tell our wives to submit, but Paul says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. In other words, it's hard to submit to somebody who doesn't love you sacrificially. So he balances those principles. And then he tells us that Jesus Christ gave himself for the church to sanctify it, to cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and blameless he gives more instructions to husbands and then he speaks to parents and children and then to to servants and masters or subordinates and superiors on the job that's the context of this and as mysterious as marriage can sometimes be Paul says, what I'm writing about, though, is I'm getting to my main point, is the mystery is Christ and his church. The church is called the bride of Christ in this metaphor. And this passage is designed to teach that in the same way that a bride should be precious to her husband and the peculiar love, the exclusive relationship of husband and wife, that Christ and his church have this same exclusive relationship and it is a loving relationship. It is a committed relationship and it is more intimate even than husband and wife. The church is the special delight of God. He rejoices over us in the same way that a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. And in ancient times, someone like in our modern times, a father would present a bride to her husband. But this passage says that Jesus Christ 
will present his church to himself. He has purified us by his blood, by the blood of his cross. And he will invite us to stand beside him as all the world watches that the church, the bride of Christ, is his peculiar or unique treasure throughout all of the ages. He will present us to himself as a chaste or pure virgin. That is the church. In the Old Testament, the high priest could only marry a virgin. And Jesus Christ will have the assemblance of all the universe, of every human being, of every angel and demon. And here will be his church that will be presented to himself. And when he says, ta-da, here's my church, what kind of church will it be? Well, a little gimpy church, a little gangly church, a geriatric church, I'm not speaking just about age now, a ghastly church, a gnarled church, a grotesque church, a grizzled church, a groggy church, there's a groggy churches in the Bible, amen, sleepy. He didn't say any of those things. He said, when I present my church to myself, it will be a glorious church. Not a scandalized church, not a backslidden church, not a politically correct church. But when he says, this is my church, it will be a glorious church. This statement is a future statement about the church at the end of the church age. It will not be a declining church. It will not be a faltering church. It will be a glorious church. It will be a holy church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It will be holy and blameless. It will be a glorious church. In the same way that the new Jerusalem comes down of heaven, from heaven out of God as a bride adorned for her husband, as the church arrived in fine linen, clean and white, for that white linen is the righteousness of the saints. We will be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The bride of Christ will not be defective, deformed, or disfigured. Imagine the most beautiful bride you've ever seen. This bride has no blemishes, no moles, no warts. She is symbolic of the Old Testament sacrifices that were completely pure. And this church that has weathered 2,000 years of storms and attacks will be a glorious church. A glorious church. In the Old Testament, when the ark was taken, a baby was born. He was named Ichabod. That meant the glory is departing. The glory of God is departing from Israel. So Israel that had reached a high is now going into decline. The glory is departing. In man's world, every kingdom rises, every kingdom falls. Nebuchadnezzar saw an image. Daniel interpreted his vision and he spoke of the Babylonian empire that rose and fell. The Media-Persian empire that rose and fell. The Grecian empire that rose and fell. And finally, the Roman empire in that statue that he saw 
that would rise and fall. That's why Edward Gibbon, back in the 90s, I believe, could write about the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. But what about the church? When were the glory days of the church? When was this church glorious? Was it glorious in the first century when the gospel spread from Jerusalem to Rome? Was it more glorious in the 20th century when in Topeka, Kansas, the Holy Spirit was poured out and it spread to Azusa Street? When were the glory days of the church? My brothers and my sisters, I stand here to tell you today that we are living in the most glorious days the church has ever seen. More glorious than the first century. More glorious than the 20th century. In the 1990s, Life magazine listed among the top 100 events of the second millennium, the second thousand years after Christ. Pentecostalism was listed number 68 in the Dictionary of Christianity in America. It said that Pentecostalism is perhaps the single most significant development in 20th century Christianity. That was a long century ago, about 15 years. But what about now? In just over 100 years, Pentecostalism has grown to the second largest movement in the world, second only to the Catholic Church. There are over 500 million people that will tell you I speak in tongues as the Spirit gives me the utterance. They're not all united. They're not all apostolic. They're not all in charismatic churches. They're in Catholic churches, Episcopal churches, Baptist churches, no churches. There are people that are connecting with the Holy Spirit and God is filling them with the Holy Ghost. You have never been in a day when more people are filled with the Holy Ghost than 2015. This is the most glorious hour the church has ever seen. In 2006, the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life said that 70% of Protestants in Kenya are Pentecostal or Charismatic. The same survey found in Nigeria, over 60% identified themselves as tongue talkers. One-third of South Africans who live in cities say that they have experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. But in Latin America, it, Pentecostalism is the fastest-growing Protestant denomination and churches, traditional churches, are hemorrhaging hundreds of thousands of members as people that are hungry for a glorious church are flocking to Pentecostal churches where the Spirit is moving and the power of God is demonstrated. 2006 survey revealed that 75% of the Protestants in Latin America are Pentecostals. 30% of the entire population of Latin Americans consider themselves, Latin America considers themselves Pentecostal 
are charismatic. It is the most significant religious movement in all of Latin America. And by the way, in my reading, you can say, well, it's the ignorant places. It's the uneducated people around the world who are coming to Pentecostalism. That may have been in the news in the old, but the Bible says not many noble, not many wise are called. You see, God is not looking for your education or your money. You can get an education. God can bless you with money. He's looking for sincere people, whether you're rich or poor. But the new information is people of every strata of life, rich and poor, young or old, cross-culturally, they're coming to Pentecostalism. They're coming to a glorious church. A glorious church. Amen. 2008, George Barna, a pollster who studies religion in America, asked a question in an article, is American Christianity turning charismatic? In other words, he looks at the religious landscape and says, what in the world is going on across denominations in America? He said a decade ago, three out of 10 adults claimed to be charismatic or Pentecostal. Today, 36% has grown by 6%. That corresponds to approximately 80 million adults in America who say, I speak in tongues. You don't have to go very far to find somebody who says, oh, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was at a choir concert. How sweet the sound. In my bedroom. It was in a Bible study group. We had a little group in our church that meets in a room and we're receiving the Holy Ghost there. These people are being filled with the Holy Ghost. In 2010, Barna came back again and said that the number of Pentecostals and Charismatics is triple the number of evangelicals in the United States and an equivalent to the number of adults who attend Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Episcopal, non-denominational churches. He said 26% of Protestants and 20% of Catholics identify as part of the Pentecostal Charismatic movement. Now I understand, we believe that it takes more than just receiving the spirit but Jesus said when the spirit of truth has come it will lead you and it will guide you into all truth God doesn't need somebody to be in our altars or come through our doors to fill them with the Holy Ghost but when a person will believe when they will repent God will baptize them in the Holy Ghost it is happening around the world and God is bringing people to truth and that's why I tell you that we are living in the days of a glorious church. Would you stand with me, please? I know what happens to people as you get older. They don't make cars like they used to. They don't make them like they used to. The good old days weren't nearly as good as we think they were. When we were back in the good old days, they weren't as good as we thought. We were looking back then. My message today is to try to awaken us that nothing different needs to happen than what God is already doing except we need to say, Lord, let this revival sweep America and the world. Lord, let me have faith in the church. Let me contribute my money, my integrity, my ministry to the church to make it glorious. For when Jesus comes back, He's looking for a glorious church and he will have a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It will be holy and without blemish. That's the church he's coming back for. So in my life, I need to be in that church. I need to turn from my sins and repentance. 
I need to be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. I need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Why would I not want what the world is dying for? What the world is coming to that is hungry for God. And then if I am a Pentecostal, if I am an apostolic, I need to make sure that I cleanse out of my life all filthiness of the flesh and spirit so that I am right with God. Because he is coming back and he will have a glorious church. Bow your heads, please. Lord, I thank you for your word and for your promises. And Lord, I've tried to preach the principles of your word. And I thank you, Lord, for dropping into my heart this truth about the nature of the church for which you will return. I pray that in this house today, anyone, Lord, that is backed away, that has been disconnected, that you will encourage and inspire them, that you will challenge them, O Lord, to make the church the center of their lives and that their families, O God, can find haven in the sanctuary of your church. I pray, O God, for the person who's here today that is not yet connected to your church, that you would let it happen for them today. And I give you thanks for it in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody would just say amen. I want to invite you to come and pray in just a moment. And I know it's later than normal. I've already explained that. But if you want to be connected to this amazing movement that God has brought to our earth, would you just, you know, when our church comes, would you just come join with us? If you need to repent of some things in your life so that you would be that glorious church, then take care of that spiritual business. If there's hypocrisy in you, if you don't represent the integrity of God, why don't you ask God to forgive you today and come clean and be part of the glorious church? Amen? Would you move out right now, please? Would you just step down toward this altar? Make your way down here. Why don't you say, Lord, I've not been what I could be, but Lord, I'm buying in today. Or if you bought in, why don't you say, Lord, I'm committed to seeing this be the greatest thing in the earth. I want your church to be glorious. Amen.